Asa. Hello. How's it going, buddy? Pretty good, pretty good. Good. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. We've been, place. yeah, we've been trying to make this happen for a while, but um, my life's been pretty crazy busy the last few months, both uh, good and bad, but uh, now here we are. You came down for the show I put on with Mike and Don at Azoth. And what a show, what a space. It was what cool. A- it, was, it was a really cool night for me. Um, it was nice to see Don play those Agalock songs. That was really emotional for me. Yeah, I, 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 I teared up quite a few times. That was uh, pretty intense. Even thinking about it makes me tear up a little bit. It was uh, hearing Agalock songs on stage, performed by Don. Uh, just, man, raw, raw emotions there for me. But uh, yeah, what a great night. I mean, everybody killed it. The place was fairly packed, but it wasn't uncomfortably packed. Mm-hmm. Uh, reception was great, and the audience was so respectful. Everybody sitting down, quiet as shit the whole time. Amazing. You never see that. No. You never see that. No. People don't have uh, just the consciousness uh, of what, what space they're inhabiting to think, oh, maybe I'm talking especially audibly given this yeah. is an acoustic show and I should shut up. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a few times um, when Agalak would, would be on tour when we would play Odal, and it's this very delicate beginning and very gentle and very quiet and there'd just be these drunk assholes in the audience you know hey fucking this and fucking that and it just totally throws off the vibe and last night it was like you could hear a pin drop and it was amazing and the the pa was barely even on like we were barely even using that system it was like so much of it was just the room and the instrument and it was beautiful it was great i'm glad you're able to make it down for that oh i'm i'm so grateful i i was able to as well yeah um, was... actually yeah so obviously hadn't heard of weather veins before really impressed by his work yeah um he's a shredder i'm embarrassed to say i have not delved deep into eric mogridge's work beyond mm-hmm. i think that first aerial ruin record a number of years ago when it was like yeah. a cdr and aesop was the first one yeah yeah uh, crowing about it yeah yeah, yeah. so that song he opened with last night is gonna be an acoustic split with panopticon yeah <laughs> oh man yeah it's gonna be awesome um and yeah as uh, I, I don't know that i could do uh, any more verbal justice to don set than you yeah um, that, that was, was it was something else yeah well I, and, and I, what i love about i mean obviously i'm i'm partial to <laughs> to don in many ways but uh what i really appreciate about the way he played the acoustic guitar is he plays it intensely you know he's not sitting there and just being delicate all the time he he plays it very dynamically and he was he was beating the shit out of that guitar one moment at the ending of two drown he was doing that tremolo picking yeah. like he was playing black metal on that acoustic guitar you know and that was awesome it was great um and then of course mike mike Scheidt from yob you know powerful powerful presence and his interpretations of Yob songs in the acoustic uh, element are just breathtaking. Yeah, and especially since he's he's transposing key so much higher yeah. than what he plays on yeah. nine times out of ten. Also, um, I like how you know Mike Ever Humble is making these self-effacing remarks about I love playing solo, but I never do the quote-unquote rehearsing thing. So right. bear with me. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he he makes all those excuses and still just slays it. Yeah, like it's, like it's the the first time I saw him uh, solo was opening for Barrowlands. And he kept on making these reference references. Uh, he was comparing himself to a comedian. He's like, I'm just up here, like working out my set. You know, I'm just up here, just like seeing what sticks. So, but yeah, it was, uh, he's an awesome dude. And it was a really, really cool night. Um, but yeah, but now uh, we're here and we're going to finally make this happen. 
Oh yeah. Um, so for people that aren't familiar with you, um, you are, would it be safe to say that you are the leader of nostalgist? Yeah. What's the, what's the term you'd like to say there? (laughs) I think leader is good. Uh, front man seems like it has some really, you know, puff chested egotism. Yeah. Um, this is, this is going to sound really pretentious, but bear, bear with me when I kind of talk through, uh, this sort of thing with my bandmates, I always come back to the word directorial. Yeah. Like obviously I want other people's input and, sure. and want other people's voices uh, to shine through in the final music and, and art that comes out. But, um, I, as I always say, I want, I want final cut. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some things like that too, you know, and I've always struggled with what, what's the word you use, mm-hmm. you know? Um, <laughs> I like, what was it? Directorial. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like that. I, Frontman has never been apt for me because usually my things are, I'm not actually a performer in those bands. And that frontman to me means like you're a performer, which would be apt for you, but perhaps misleading. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're at the end of the day, we're just, you know, a rock band, but there are like certain, you know, big rock things that maybe I'm averse to versus others. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, uh, you just mentioned, well, what's, what's the best term? And I, I immediately thought of, uh, my friend, uh, Scott Evans in Kowloon Walled city. You yeah. know, it's very much, he is the directorial entity there, but mm-hmm. he often jokes that they've thrown around the term benevolent dictatorship. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's good. I like that. I, when I was doing self spiller and when I'm doing snares and things like that, I just refer to myself as the dictator. <laughs> so, cause it's, it's the same thing. Like I want everybody's input, but I have to have final cut too, because I know exactly what I'm going for. So I kind of preface it like, hey, I would love your help, but you have to know that I am going to delete your shit if I don't like it. <laughs> that sounds frank. Well, I kind of have to be frank. Yeah, because it's, I don't know. It's, uh, anyway, I, I know what you mean by, by that. Um, but yeah, I've always been uncomfortable. Like what, what, there could be so many terms used for that. But uh, yeah, we'll just call you. The, the director, <laughs> the director of nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh. Anyway, um, you put out a record. It was last, well, it was obviously last year. Yeah. Just, uh, a little over a year ago, I guess at this point it was, was March, it? Okay. March, 2018. Okay, cool. And you self-released that. Yes. Yeah. How did that, how did that go? Was that a kind of a pain in the ass putting it out yourself or um i i had the luck to i mean you know i gotta say shout outs to labels that really know how to figure this out like i i see someone like adam bartlett yeah and just you know how does he do it right um it seems like gilead has has so many labels in the pipeline and he's mm-hmm. just his coordination is i just i for the life of me among other things um coordinating things like okay you know, I'm going to hopefully have test presses in hand by then should get PR nailed down by then. And as it was, I, I just barely managed to scrape something together. Uh, shouts out to Shauna McLarnon for all her help. Um, uh, shameless promotions mm-hmm. as a company. Uh, it was really nice to have someone to farm that out to. I must say, yeah. uh, I just, what I always go back to in terms of trying to do a whole label thing is creating, you know, music and, 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 and art and that, that final finished product is so rewarding, but then really thinking about 
essentially how, how to trick people into buying it at yeah. the end of the day yeah. is just not um, a motivation I can instill in myself. Well, that's important to... Um, also, is, I didn't. I didn't mean to badmouth like PR people and saying trick people. I, that, no, no, that, no. that was purely a critique of of, of capitalism. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you <laughs> In mean. No way, am I throwing shade? No, uh, I mean it's it's important when you're an artist to have people along the way that help. It's if you're doing everything yourself, it's it can be very problematic because you're spreading yourself too thin, and because it's it's kind of egotistical to think like. I can be the artist and the PR person and I can like, I can do all this stuff. Like, Hey, these people that are PR people, like, fuck you. I can do it myself. You know, it's not, you can do it. You can't do it quite as well. Have you ever tried to write your own one sheet? Oh yeah. Many times. It I is hate the it. most grating No, I, I actually refuse to do it. Um, when I was first doing demos and things like that, like, yeah, I did that. And I did it for other bands too. I did Wyndham Hell's one sheet back in the day. Nice. Um, so I, I mean, I have that in me, but then this is going to sound really egotistical too, but like once my band started becoming more popular and I got to like an Agaloc level, then I was like, I don't, I don't want, I shouldn't be doing this. Like I shouldn't be writing these things about myself. Somebody else should be saying like, Jason was in this popular band and now he's doing this like unbearable noise, you know, (laughs) like I need, I need somebody else to say that. So I, I actually do that. I ask people if I need something like that, which is pretty rare these days, really. But um, if I need something like that, I will ask somebody, would you be comfortable just writing a paragraph on snares of sixes? You know, I just I can't do it with myself anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, you want to have someone in that you know position of necessary evil in yeah. the age of the Internet, especially yeah. to have that. uh not objective distance, but I guess subjective distance would also apply here. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's yeah. inevitably going to be that, that, you know, detached perspective you want. Right. As opposed to just like being the person doing it all and puffing yourself up. With yeah, exactly. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel the same way about music journalism a lot now. I, I, it used to be something I did quite a bit and I had, you know, some fairly, uh, fairly good success with it as well. But I can't even imagine doing that now. I just, yeah, I just don't have it in me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't, I'm not sure that there's, oh, this is going to sound really bad again, but I'm just, I, I'm, I question what's, what's the right way to put this. I, I question the worth of music journalism now. I don't think that sounds bad. I think it's the inevitable result uh, and the, you know, the glass half empty or, or the uh, among the negatives mm-hmm. of the means of journalistic production right. just being completely um, made available to whoever, you know, yeah. especially 10 years ago, kind well, of when we, we first met each other, when yeah. blogs were, especially oh, yeah. download blogs. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I think, I mean, that's true, but also... Um, when specifically with music journalism, journalism, when you can find anything in on your phone in your pocket, it kind of renders uh, journalistic endeavors obsolete. Because when I used to write for Melomaniacs or Terrorizer or whatever, it was like I am trying to like honestly convey my thoughts about what this is like. Because you have to go out and buy it, or you have to mail order it, or something like that. Now, like I've got all the music in my world in my pocket, yeah. so. 
what could I say that would make it worth you not pulling out your phone and looking it up on YouTube or something, you know? Yeah, lo- localized scenes in that sense are kind of hard to, um, I guess, encapsulate quite the same way. Right. You know what I mean? Whereas if you, I don't know that people had the budget to do this at a, a, a publication like Metal Maniacs at the time, but like hypothetically, you know, you fly out to Stockholm to like oh, yeah, see they, what Entombed and who they, we're up to and Sunlight Studio. They did that stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Th- that, it's like, why bother now that we're all, as Voivod says, we are all connected. We're all connected. Um, yeah. I mean, I, similarly, can I can I throw some relevant shade at, at Terrorizer in a very small way? <laughs> yes, of course. I, I have no beef with him. I'm just remembering something I'd forgotten for a while, which was, you know, uh, We Met, which is a story we should we should get to at some point. You and I? It, yeah. It's pretty uh-huh. out, funny and out of yeah. the way for how it happened, given, you know, uh, our longtime homes in the Pacific Northwest to stay apart. Yes. Um, but... Just after that time, when the issue of Terrorizer dropped and I bought it, um, that little blurb, remember I took a photo of it and then posted it on Facebook, and it was it was the blurb about the Camden Underground gig. Right, with Don in the can shirt. Yeah, yeah. the Future Days shirt. Yeah. Uh, their most black metal album cover. Yeah. Um, and it was just this paragraph of the kind of thing where you read it, and it's like, what did I just ver- yeah. you know, visually ingest? It makes no sense. It, it was, I remember they called you Alpine Heroes. Did they? Yeah, I can't remember. Smokey the Bear, the band. Yeah. <laughs> It just, it, it, but that's what music journalism kind of devolved into, I felt like, because you started getting these journalists that were just, they are trying to be lyricists instead of reviewers, which I appreciate to a certain degree. But then at some point, it's like, you're just exercising your artistic muscles because you know that you can't convey what this record is like. So I mean, I, I don't know that I would go as far to say this about the second part, but... Mm-hmm. This is just my taste. I don't think he should stop what he's doing, and I am no one of consequence, so I really don't want to come off as just some shit talker. But mm-hmm. you know who I realized is very much like that in terms of more flexing, um, I guess, artistic muscle, as you so aptly put? Martin Popoff. Yeah, now, I'm, not, he, he, I'm not very familiar with his he work, He writes honestly. books, right. like these niche books in rock and metal that no one else would do, and that is fundamentally awesome, and that's the big reason why I think that dude should keep going on. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Many aeons ago, as a, as a high schooler, I bought the 500 best metal records of all time. And within the last couple of years, I noticed it dusty in, in my, one of my bookshelves, and I broke it out and started flipping through stuff. Um, and I was, you know, I'd read through his his write-ups of favorite albums of mine, like Mental Vortex or something. Yeah. And just be like, what What does that even mean? Yeah. Or like, what the hell is that adverb doing in this paragraph? That's that's. Kind of what I mean is, uh, I'm okay. So this is going to sound bad once again, but I'm <laughs> I'm not pointing this towards this podcast in particular. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a podcast like Radical Research is more valuable um, music journalism than like a record review because they are presenting records to you or artists to you and giving you snippets of what you can actually hear from those bands. Um, if I read a review now, I, it, I, it bores me, but if somebody can share their thoughts about it and play me some, and I don't have to like actively search down that band. If Jeff Wagner and Hunter again are saying, you should listen to this band and here's a little bit of it. I can be like, Oh, that sucks. Or I can be like, that's rad. Like yeah. they, they've, that podcast has turned me on to, uh, a couple bands that I adore now. Last time I was here. I bought a Mind Over 4 LP. Yeah. It's that band rips. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, like oh man. Uh, by the way, mega forever shout outs to 
Wagner and Ginn totally for a absolutely brilliant podcast. Yeah. I I look forward to every other Tuesday when I know I can yep. at some point throw that on and loved it. Just the I was talking with our dear friend Michael Smith about this mm-hmm. uh, recently. Like the the perfect dynamic between not to call Jeff a robot whatsoever, but he has <laughs> no no no. I'm just saying he has you know the kind of the the navigational role. I've it does, along, yeah. alongside chiming in with his knowledge mm-hmm. and you know Hunter has the equal knowledge but is is the guy who I especially you know resonate with because he's someone else who just loves to wax uh, heartfeltly mm-hmm. about these oh, yeah. works yeah. um and I just love that it's just like such a perfect balance of hosting that you don't see you know yeah. that, that chemistry is an overlooked thing it comes um, off really really well i i have to say i'm i'm slightly jealous because i started this one a little bit before they came out <laughs> and then i heard oh jeff wagner starting a podcast and i was just immediately like oh fuck because jeff and i have a rich a rich history you know we we wrote we had a fanzine together in the 90s and um so i've known jeff for a long time and i know he's you know a journalistic powerhouse and absolutely it's like Oh shit. But you know, we exist in two different spaces, but I will say they did that mystery snippets last week. Oh, I got I need to listen and to that. It's basically this format. It's the I hate music podcast format. They play each other's songs without telling them each other what it is. I got to listen to that then. Yeah. Also, I I want to chime in. I, I feel defensively the need to really clarify my remarks um about like uh Jeff is someone who's you know, Metal Maniacs was towards the end of its its days by the time I was picking up a couple copies towards the end of high school. Yeah. Um, but uh, I had a very distinct experience with a book I'm looking at it in your shelf right now, Mean Deviation. Yes. Uh, for those yeah. not in, in the know, a fantastic tome about progressive and avant-garde metal mm-hmm. um, of all varieties from Celtic Frost to Atheist to, yes, Dream Theater to Fate's Warning and Watchtower um, that wins end, et cetera. Sculptured. Scul- oh, yeah, God, I'm an asshole. <laughs> Sculptured and Agalock as well. Um, I, so I bought that. I, I remember when he announced it and I was like, Oh my God, there's going to be a book about Voivod and why that, that is the most mm-hmm. complete, by the way, background of watchtower that I've ever been able to find anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I ordered it as soon as it went for presale, got my copy. Uh, my brother was going to school at Cal Poly. Uh, I was living at home for a year after college, just working full time. Um, and, and saving up to move out. So was at home with my mom for Thanksgiving because my dad had flown to uh, San Luis Obispo to mm-hmm. take care of my brother who had, you know, had worked his ass off to like build those muscle. He was a collegiate athlete and lost it all because he got this Southwestern like spore disease in his Ooh. lungs. Oh, poor guy was better ridden forever. So my dad flew down to be with him for, for Thanksgiving break. And so my mom and I are, are hanging out and the power goes out. For like three days. Oh my God. And we're just like eating crackers, listening to NPR day round and, and drinking tea. And I read me deviation cover to cover. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was fantastic. Um, also, especially among all other things as really what ignited my interest in anacrusis, which in turn mm-hmm. was a big part of my getting into post-punk in the first place. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I, yeah. I mean, manic impressions is, yeah, I'm not that, I mean, I've, I've heard them, but I'm not that familiar. Ooh, okay. We might have to get to a yeah. Crucis John if we <laughs> okay. have time, time tonight. But. Cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of, of time, yes. we should move on to uh, some tunes. Yes. Uh, so, you got something for me? Oh, indeed. So this is a twofer. Uh, it's kind of a opening little cut and then into a, a heavy closing banger. 
Um, this is a band who I know for a fact Don reviewed in Infernal Archives and was not super into. Okay. Um, this intro track is not the, the best indicator of their style, but... I feel like this could go either way, but I'd still be pretty impressed and surprised if you could guess them based on the, the next like actual song that this sequence like segues into. It's Queensryche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He reviewed them in Infernal Archives? I believe, or maybe not in reviewed, but was sent a copy by... Do you think it would give it away if I told you the record label? It's, it's one of the bigger ones. Probably not. Okay, Century Media. No, it doesn't give it away. Okay. Yeah, I figured they've been they prolific a, for so yeah, long. Yeah, they had so much stuff. Century Media Band. Hmm. This is... I mean... So what made you think to play this song? Is this because, something special well, to you? Yes. Um, I was turned on to this record, and in fact this song, because a... Especially when I was in high school and college, a particularly popular metal band at the time covered it. And I hadn't really heard that. I'd read the Hall of Fame entry on this record in Decibel, found it to be interesting in terms of subject matter, but foolishly presumed, based on their band name, they were just some kind of like metallic hardcore thing. Um, and there are those aspects okay. in their music, but when I heard the original being played in my friend's dorm room, and I was like, Raph, what is this? And he was like, oh yeah. yeah. Um, and I sought out this record, and it has just become so near and dear to my heart. I mean, I mean from 10, almost 11 years ago now, uh, I would, when I was very fit at the time, uh -huh. I would lift weights to this record. Yeah, the lyrical stylings on this record and the one other one they did have continued to be a profound influence. And um, yeah, I uh, I really hate bringing this up because it just, there's no way not to sound humble braggy, and I just hate that shit. Um, but the singer of this band has become a close friend of mine as well, and someone who I will always look up to, like hmm. a, a, a person of real fiber and, and principle and integrity and craft on top of being just a stupendous artist. American? Yes. I have no idea. This is no Only idea. Living Witness. And it's the closing song uh, from their debut record Prone Modal Form. It's called December. I I imagine I've never heard this before. Check this out. Are they still around? I haven't heard about these guys in forever. No, they did two records and they broke up. And then they reunited, actually, the summer after I got into them. And I, one of my biggest regrets, I gotta tell you, is not finding a way to pony up the cash and fly out to Boston and see one of the, I think, three reunion shows they did. Because, oh my, the videos are of those sets are almost better than the records. I mean, mm -hmm. um, the drummer passed away a few years ago. He, he was actually very sick at the time of the reunions, so... Um, I would be remiss to not say rest in peace, Eric Singer. He wrote all these songs. Jonah wrote all oh, the lyrics, wow. but the drummer wrote everything else. Wow. Um, and mechanically, they're pretty simple, but the musicianship and the tightness is great. And Jonah, especially on this record, Jonah had this very verbose approach that was still really cryptic. And I just, I've talked about this at length. I was just talking to um, my friend David uh, about this kind of idea over... Uh, brunch today, but really across mediums, when you can plant enough of a seed in the viewer or, or player or listener's mind and give them enough, just enough of a foothold to be really fascinated, but also give them enough mystery or space to kind of fill in for themselves. Yeah. Um, 
whether that's, again, just how cryptic these lyrics can be, um, or I, I, I believe I was, yeah, I was telling you yesterday about Neon Genesis Evangelion and yeah, yeah. just my uh-huh. fascination with that. That'll come up later, by the way, in my playlist. Um, I, I've just been trying to think about how, like, how do you do that with, with music and, and lyrics? Obviously, Jonah did a stupendous job here. And then, even more impressively, in the follow-up record, Innocence, um, he changed his lyrical approach to be, uh, and it still is like this, but very, like, even pickier, but it's like, the approach was how how can he, and I hope I'm not misrepresenting this if Jonah ever listens, sorry, buddy, but <laughs> just like, how can you distill these ideas into the most minimal amount of actually written words yeah. and still deliver on that, that cryptic aspect, okay. still uh-huh. tell a story somehow? Right. Um, yeah, so I don't know if this it's, is your thing whatsoever, but... I'm not sure. I'd have to spend some time with it. It, it kind of, in a weird way, reminds me of Confessor. Oh! And I adore a Confessor. I can kind of see that. There's a doom aspect to this, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the, the vocal approach. Um, like a, a more tame confessor. You know, <laughs> a more listenable confessor. Yeah. Um, interestingly, you know, a lot of people as they... Musicians as they age mm-hmm. out of, or in extreme music kind of go in more... Just less extreme directions. A lot of them and, do, and yeah. And Jonah has largely done the opposite. Um, his current project he recently did a more melodic band called um, Northern Skulls which are still active and then he's in this uh, uh, I guess metallic DB band is how I describe it called Raw Radar War one word okay and they are absolutely stellar nice they did a seven inch that was largely conceptually focused on Simo Heha who is a Finnish sniper that just was like this quiet far like rural living dude that killed like an inordinate amount of Russians oh, wow. in that war. <laughs> nice. And uh yeah, it's a oh let's pause. Awesome. Oh. So that's Only Living Witness. Uh, the, song, the, song? the songs were Darkly and then mm-hmm. that actual song was December from their first album Prone Mortal Form. It was just released on vinyl and it's a fantastic master, so I would highly recommend picking it up from Century Media or actually whoever licensed it, but um, especially because I know they were waiting on doing a similar reissue of the one other Only Living Witness record. So if you like that, support the band. Cool. Uh, and so what was what was the year, the original release? Uh, Do you remember that? Um, I want to say 93, about four. Because uh, in okay. a sense, I'm almost certain it was 95 or 96, and they were broken up by then when that record came out. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Um, yeah, cool. I mean, I remember hearing that name and, uh, but I'm pretty sure I never checked them out. I kind of, I think i did the same thing you did and just kind of assumed they were just some kind of meathead, you know, something that wouldn't appeal to me. Well, okay. Uh, I, I'm throwing in a Norton amount of shade for this <laughs> but, um, there is a, a certain hardcore band that named themselves well okay hardcore in basis but you know they're they're real experimental right um that named themselves after a certain witness song and to me all they do is completely miss the point because as chunky as some of those riffs are and they you know there was an aspect of the hardcore scene in like who witness would play with and got certain band members from but Jonah's lyrics are not about beating the tar out of someone and, right. and it's 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 so much more far reaching and and deep thinking and, and and intelligent than that. And this band just 
comically all these years later still misses the point and and tries to rip them off but falls in their face with trying to be mysterious but tough bro right um yeah I, I i guess at that point in time century media started releasing a lot of that tough bro stuff and i kind of just lumped them into that category with like with stuck mojo oh oof who i saw one time oh man yeah i honestly don't remember anything about it but ooh. okay so i'm gonna move on yeah um i'm not gonna say who this is but this is a lesser known project of one of my very favorite people and i would like to wish him a happy birthday today and that's why i chose to play this song um this i'm sure you felt this but this is a person that i don't know i've met him once but i have such deep admiration for him um that i almost feel like i know him you know what i mean uh so this is an this is like i said one of his lesser known things but this is something going into it i thought there's no way I'm going to like this. And it took me four or five listens. And now it's one of my favorite things he ever did. So let's check it out. You probably know who I'm playing already. I don't. Project with a beat like that, I can get into you and me, how disease and the germs are spreading. Use me like Listerine, keeping your breath fresher. Feel the stroke of your paintbrush, my blank sheet of paper. I'm your book of the month. Read the fine print later. I don't want to be reductive, but the Portishead aspect of this is oh, it, stupendous. Yeah, a lot I of Portishead in here. It isn't Toby Driver, is it? Nope. Okay. I, I must admit. I being, would say the same things about that man, well, but but he's actually a friend of mine. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. I'm also, I, can, I must confess, I'm woefully um, unacquainted with much of, of Toby's work. Uh, you should change that. But yeah, I, this, uh, is not, this is not Toby. This is uh, another echelon. Another echelon, like higher. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's unfair to say, but um, or like he's in terms of renown, I guess. Yes, in terms of renown. Is it a Mike Patton? It sure is. Okay. So wait, you've met Mike Patton? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not know that. That sounds like a story, doesn't it? It is a story, actually, Asa. (laughs) Um, you called him up and was like, "Yo, dude, don't don't do the, the national anthem thing." Yeah, I did. And he was like, "You know what, buddy? You're right." And I said, "And don't do the Chris Cornell thing either." I don't know. I, the, I, I mean, the rumor mills right now are crazy about his health, but I, that's, I think he's just felt like shit. But that's why he canceled the national anthem thing and the Chris Cornell thing. But you know, people like to make up stuff, so people are like, oh, I wonder if he's okay. But especially patent stands. There's, there's no, there's no evidence whatsoever that there's anything wrong. It's just, I would have loved to have 
seen both of those things, but whatever. Um, but uh, yes, I met Patton once, and it is actually a fantastic story. Thank you for mentioning it. Um, the year was, must have been 98, and I had just moved here from Minneapolis, and I was living with Don in his parents' house, and Michael Smith and Don and I went to downtown Portland to see the very, very first Fantomas show ever. Awesome. And it was before the record was out, so nobody knew what it was going to sound like. Um, so it was in this venue that doesn't exist anymore, in the Pearl District of Portland, before the Pearl District existed. It was just a, it was just like a field, and it was in this warehouse in a field. And I was beyond stoked. Not only is it Patton, but it's Dave Lombardo and Buzz and Trevor Dunn. You can imagine my excitement. Yes. So, but we're all stoked. But Don and Smith were a little bit more newer to it, where I've, I've been worshiping, worshiping these guys for years, you know. And just going into a show and not knowing what it's going to sound like, like not one note had been released ever. So it was just up to our imagination. So the crowd is filled with like Slayer shirts and Faith No More shirts and Melvin shirts, you know. And people are shouting like, you know, Faith No More songs and stuff. And they they played the first album in its entirety, which is one of the biggest mind fucks you can see. I was going to say. And we're just like, everybody's like, holy fuck, like what is this? Before the show, the three of us were hanging out at Powell's. And actually, this is, this is a really good story. It's very embarrassing, actually. Um, we're hanging out at Powell's, and the venue is basically right across the street from Powell's. And we're over by the front checkout, and I look over, and I'm like, holy shit, is that Patton checking out books? And Don's like, oh my god, it is. And I'm like, I... I, I I hate doing this, but like, I have to go say something. And so he was done checking out and he had like two bags of books. And I walked up to him and I said, Mr. Patton, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but I wanted to be respectful because mm -hmm. he does mean his work means a lot to me. And, uh, he shook my hand and it was the most amazing experience because he, he and I sat there for 25 minutes, just bullshitting. How have I never heard this story? I don't know. That's I don't know. Fantastic. It was it was amazing. And as like such an admirer of him and such a such a fan, um, it meant the world to me. And so I just I said, Hey, Mr. Patton, I'm a huge fan. I'm super excited for the show. And Don and Smith were there as well. And we're just we're talking about stuff. I'm asking about what he's listening to. And then he starts he turns around on us, like, what are you guys into? And we're like, Oh, we've got this band, and this is like right when Aglock kind of started and so we mentioned Agalock and Sculpture had already had a record out so we we're talking about Sculpture a little bit and but it, like we were on no level whatsoever to like be like hey like we tour or anything like this is before we toured or anything so we're just, oh, we got these little things that we do and he's like that's cool and and I told him I just moved from Minneapolis and we talked about Minneapolis a little bit and he was like engaging us and I said I'm sorry man like I don't mean to bother you and he's like no that's cool we're just killing time so we were just hanging out in Powell's. Amazing. So then, this is where I put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> so then I see this guy walk up behind him and stand next to him, and I'm, but I'm so focused that, that I'm talking with Patton. I did the classic move of like, this is right when the first Secret Chiefs 3 record came out, 
And I have to preface this by saying that my love for Secret Chiefs 3 is insanely deep and passionate. One of my absolute favorite bands. But at this point, it was just the first record, which was mostly weird noise, electronic. Um, I love it, but they're on a totally different level now. But in my opinion, at the time, I kind of felt like it was a disco volante light. So, and I knew that Patton wasn't involved. And I don't know if I was just trying to like stir up crap. I don't know what my thought process was, but I said to him, what do you think of Secret Chiefs 3? And he's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool, but it seems unnecessary because of Disco Volante. And you know where this is going. He's right behind me, isn't he? Yeah. So Patton says, yeah, I mean, I wasn't on that record, but he was and points next to him and it's Trevor Dunn. I was insulting Trevor Dunn's band to his face. And of course, again, Secret Cheese is one of my absolute favorite bands. And Trevor Dunn is probably my favorite bass player ever. I didn't even notice that Trevor was there and he was standing there for a bit anyway. It was awful, but they, I mean, they didn't care, you know, they took it in stride and Trevor knows that, I mean, especially a first secret cheese record is it's a challenge for sure. I was going to say, if you're going to make that much divisive music, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that if nothing else, your fans are going to have divisive opinions, let alone the general listening. Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't care, but it was just one of those moments. I'm like, Oh, So another reason I really want to introduce you to my cousin Chad is because Mm -hmm. in addition to being a gigantic Patton fan, Mm -hmm. um, I think I've told you he worked for many years on the strip at Grandmaster Recording or Recorders. Uh Uh So he did uh, work on, I can't remember what Phantomous record. I think it was the second one because Billy did the first. Well, I mean, Chad unfortunately went uncredited in a lot of these releases. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that he took over for Billy Anderson per se. Right. Um, Yeah. But definitely you know, got to work with some of his favorites. Like, uh, as an aside, do you like bark market? I don't think I've ever heard bark market. Ooh, I think you'd really like bark market. Okay. Um, but that's, if you've heard of the producer, Dave Sardi, mm-hmm. um, who's, I mean, I think he's massively successful as a producer. Now when I was in high school, he was doing like jet records, you know, stuff, oh, right. stuff of mm-hmm. that kind of payout at the yeah. time. But he was in this really well-produced noise rock band called bark market in the nineties. That Yeah. I, I mean, I, at some point it's, it's, I won't say it's wholly my thing, but, I've heard of them for sure. Yeah. So Chad got to work with Patton and Sardi and just all these other folks and wound up, I think I told you playing uh, mouth harp on the first goats or excuse me, the second goat snake record. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the, um, so going back to that, that Phantomas show, then yeah. years later I become friends with Billy and I mentioned it to him and he's like, yeah, actually he's like, we finished that Phantomas record one day and then we drove all night through the night to get to that show. And so Billy was doing sound that night and they had just finished the record. So it was cool to get that perspective too. And he said, what happened is they basically did all the instrumentation. And then Patton said, I want to finish this record before we go on tour. He's like, I'm just going to do it in one take. And he had three microphones and he just did the whole thing in one take. Billy hit record and they did the whole thing in one take. And then they left on tour. Wow. Yep. Insane. Uh, <laughs> I mean, insane I, I i you know like Patton's approaches aren't always my bag but uh, it's it, i of He's, course only harbor respect for the man and that given his incredible range of talent yeah i believe it yeah well and, and <laughs> i i've even forgotten to mention what this band is this was called lovage or i vaguely remember that was that like a mid-aughts early tens release something like that i can't remember when it came out but it's um it's with dan the automator and kid koala sick and jennifer charles 
Um, yeah, it's 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 one of my favorites, uh, and that song was called Book of the Month, and the album is called Music to Make Love to Your Old Lady By. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so moving on from that, you have something for me? Yeah. I don't know if that I brought up this band to you before. This is one that I have been... Actually, these next two cuts, um, I mean, I'm not going to play two in a row. Right. Um, but they're both from these very different bands that I have just become obsessed with okay. since last fall. Um, and this first one is my favorite song off of the first of two full-length records this band ever did. And it is one in a group of seven um, that make up this record. And the whole thing is just, I mean, uh, the most perfect late night listening record I've heard since I uh, ignited a similar adoration for uh, Nick Drake's Pink Moon mm, in college. Mm-hmm. So okay. completely different stylistically, but in vibe, there is a corollary. Here we go. Yeah. This is a through line that I think you'll at least find interesting. So this is Bark Psychosis. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, I've heard of this. So they, they're, I celebrate the entire catalog. <laughs> I like it. Um, well, I think what you'll also like is that the origins of this band, of all things, are as a Napalm Death cover band. Of course, they didn't, they didn't record as that. Um, the two core members, uh, Mastermind Graham Sutton and... I mean, no less of a fantastic musician, especially on this record, but uh, bass player John Ling mm-hmm. um, just decided, I mean, they were just these these omnivorous consumers of, of music as youths and were, I think, 16 or 17, which is like, we're going to do this music thing. Like, dropped out of school, uh, started squatting. These are fine English blokes that started squatting. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, their, their, you know, their first couple of releases, they were on like a they made a really bad noise track <laughs> yeah. on a split flexi with like Spaceman 3 oh, or weird. something. Um, and then did a succession of, of seven inch singles that were um, kind of in corollary to what was coalescing as Shoegaze and Dream Pop in England mm-hmm. at the time, but never fully veered into that. And then they did a 21 minute one sided maxi single called Scum. It was recorded in 10 days and where they adopted the approach that they used on this record, where they recorded in this church they rehearsed in. And I mean, they mixed this in a upscale studio and it sounds right. like it, but they, they, it was essentially home or not professionally studio recorded almost entirely, I believe. Um, and 
because of just how austere Graham Sutton's approach to producing and mixing was, it basically kind of drove the, the band apart. Okay. So yeah. this was 94, and then he didn't make another record until 2004. Wow. Um, where he brought in some other people. And even that record is is not just strong, it has this very logical continuation from this record while mm-hmm. being its its own thing. Right. Um, there's just so many elements of all sorts of music, whether it's jazz or dub. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess progressive rock fans sometimes really like this band for their structures, but it's... Um, I, the amount of, of, I guess, just dynamic attention they pay... Like, this, yeah. Listen to this bridge. Yeah. Right. Just flawless. Yeah, I also, love stuff like that. There's so much um, sampling on this record of live instrumentation that it doesn't always really sound like it. Right. Outright. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's hard to find records that feel this resonant and life-affirming sometimes. You know what I, it kind of reminds me of for some reason? Mostly vocally, but almost kind of in spirit. It reminds me of Beyond Dawn. Who I got pity love, I remember, mm-hmm. because of uh shouts out Michael Smith yet again. Yeah. Um his heavy recommendation. And you know, as with a much of the kind of the avant garde offshoots of the Norwegian mm-hmm. black metal scene, I can appreciate it. I don't know that, that record was entirely But you um Of course I'm sure they're all very different, so what the hell do I know? Well, but what I was gonna say is uh Smith might have done it more justice to recommend something later in the discography. Um, I can almost guarantee you that you would adore uh, In Reverie and Frish. Almost guarantee it. Way different than Pity Love. It's it's very similar to this. The vocals on this remind me a lot of Beyond Dawn. Sweet. Um, I think that's way more up your alley. And they just reissued uh, In Reverie um, on vinyl. Frish isn't on vinyl, but it's all on YouTube, Spotify. You should check it out. Um, amazing, amazing band. I think it's way up your alley. Awesome. Actually, Radical Research did a podcast, a whole episode on Beyond Dawn. Yes, I really should listen to that. Listen to that one because they'll they'll play like the early, more death metal-y stuff. Um, and then they play some more of the, the newer stuff. So that's my homework for you. <laughs> you got it, Professor Walton. <laughs> I, like I don't know if I really like that. Um... That's good. Bark Psychosis. Yes. What was the album? Hex. Hex. Okay. Cool. Well, I have to figure out something to play for you. I'm kind of woefully unprepared. No worries. Actually. Uh, well, should we should we uh, now maybe engage in some discussion of Michael Ackerfeld's best vocal performance? <laughs> Excuse me. Ackerfeld. Sorry. Ackerfeld. Ackerfeld. Uh, we are Opeth from Stockholm, Sweden. Yeah, let's let's go for it. I have an idea, let's, but let's go for that. Oh no! If we, you have, we, don't, we don't need to play Ackerfeld related stuff, I just you know I made notes on no, no. topics to. Yeah, uh, bring up a topic. Well, do it. So, as as we've discussed many times, uh, I, I very much share your love of Braymer Day. Um, it's it's funny because uh, there have. You know, across the 20 people who maybe occasionally enjoy my band, there's been a couple who have piped up about kind of some catatonia yeah. um, corollary. And that's that, first and foremost, is a huge compliment in any respect. Right. But it's funny because they mean the very, you know, post-death metal version, the, the contemporary version of, of catatonia, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I certainly appreciate that stuff on principle, but Brave Murder Day is is 
uh, and we were talking about this in the car last night, but yeah. just um, the the aspects of, of repetition and consciously choosing to do four four beats with almost no fills whatsoever, and in spirit channeling shoegaze as mm-hmm. opposed to buying a bunch of pedals and jazz masters and trying to just do right. shoegaze and really flawlessly meshing that to death metal. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. And still with plenty of, of rawness, especially given Dan Swano's complete disregard for the material. I, yeah, I know it's, that's odd. Um, yeah, but I, I, I just, the clean breaks in that record are perfect. The, song a day where they're just unabashedly trying to sound like slow dive and said as much in the decibel mm-hmm. article is great um yeah so i especially coming at it from the angle of someone who adores the first what probably six opeth records um yeah. when i heard that in college because you know last half of high school was how i really got into opeth and they were as for many i'm sure and uh among other things, part of the journey towards acclimation to extreme music. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, it was so cool to hear Michael in full growl mode over such a different sort of instrumentation. Right. Um, now, that said, is that probably, would it be my favorite if not for this other thing I'm about to mention? Yes. <laughs> but uh, what I will I have to mention, and I, I have a friend who makes fun of me for this, uh, my favorite Opeth record is My Arms Your Hearse, which I don't know if you've... Mm. I, oh, I know it. I, I know, I know that Opeth is like not in the biggest deal sort of way, but nonetheless a bit of a careful topic given like the unnecessary comparisons to Agalox. And, and Michael apparently yeah. said some some stupid. One time he did. He he said something that frustrates me, but it just means that he doesn't really he <laughs> he said um, in an interview somebody asked him about popular contemporary metal bands or something like that, um, such as Agalock. And he said something to the effect of, um, Agalock are doing now what we did 10 years ago. That is such garbage. Well, it was right when it was right when ashes came out still. And I'm like, so like a song like Bloodbirds is Opeth. You know, it just, obviously it makes no sense. It just means he hasn't really he hadn't heard a lot. Maybe he heard some pill folklore because with pill folklore, you can see it, but that wasn't our intent. I mean, we've been over this a million times, but Opeth was not a blueprint for us whatsoever. No, yeah. And I do appreciate the first couple of Opeth records, um, but they just got kind of samey for me. Well, especially uh, now. I haven't even heard anything in <laughs> years. I, I can't even think of the last one I listened to. Um, I, I think they've long earned the right to do whatever they want. Not that that's even a right a band needs to earn, but it's just not uh, much of a direction I've really in, enjoyed. Um, right. Don, actually, I remember, said something pretty astute. Uh, oh, surprise. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, as he almost always does, being Don. Um, beyond Don. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, a number of years ago, he was saying that, essentially, uh, that Opeth were kind of bogarting the whole, no, we're the extreme metal band that has a 70s influence. That's us. Yeah. No well, one else can. That's why they named it My Arms, Your Hearse after a Comus song. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I enjoy Comus. I know you do. I'm not telling you. I'm just saying like <laughs> they, yeah, they beat their chests with it. You know, it, it is a little much though. I'm not going to lie that. Oh, remember when they did that cruise with Anecdoten and, uh, kind of, and yeah. Comus. Yeah. Like mellow, but oh, yeah, so cool. But, um, well, oh, go ahead. I, I, 
I was just going to make a comparison in their defense. Um, the way they beat their chest with Prague is the way that Agalok beat their chest with uh, Neofolk and Shoegaze. It's, it's a very similar trajectory where we, we credit ourselves for bringing Shoegaze and Neofolk into the black metal scene, much in the way that Opeth credits themselves for bringing Prague into that. So I can critique them for that, but we, I mean, Agalok said the same shit about us. I still so. feel like it, y- y'all, and I'm, I might be, I mean, I'm inevitably biased, but I still feel like it's not unfair to say y'all translated that a lot better because I didn't know much. In fact, the way I, I know Aesop is because I was looking for a record that Michael mentioned, this uh, heavy Italian, or excuse me, German prog band called um, Morning Sun. Okay. And... That's how I found Cosmic Hearse. Okay, cool. It's like summer 2008, and I was like, wait, this guy also posts like metal demos and, and yeah. punk seven inches? Like, holy crap. Um, so it's funny enough that that's interwoven. But Opeth were so much more <laughs> blunt about that influence in a way that wasn't, you know, it wasn't that it was badly incorporated, but it was just less subtle than what y'all did. Yeah. with Because I uh, where I'm, the comparison I'm making here versus both bands and their respective non-metal genre incorporations is that I didn't know a ton of obscure prog whatsoever going into liking Opeth, and I didn't know anything about neo-folk or post-industrial music or post-punk or right. Fizzle Nephilim or any of that stuff listening to the first three Agalock records. Right. Um, roughly around the same time of my youth, I might add. Um, so, in that sense, I feel qualified. Yeah, yeah. So you're... I'm, but yeah, I would say, so My Arms Rehearse has this distinct um, aspect about not just the rawness of the production, even mm-hmm. separate from the first two records, which were, I think, even lower fidelity in terms of their studio resources. But yeah. there's a rawness to the emotion of that record for me as a, as a sad boy, because the whole concept is like this guy who dies and but loves his wife so much that he comes back to haunt her as a ghost. And then it gets less romantic from there. But like especially as a high schooler on principle right. that, that yeah. overwroughtness like yeah. really appealed to me. But also Michael's vocals are distinctly different in that record because he's a horrible cold. And so they're not, oh. they're, they're, they're in, in a good way. It's comparatively a bit more shrill than the really morbid angel low mm-hmm. gurgle. He often yeah. busts out otherwise. Yeah. Um, and that was also the kind of the first record where they adopted the rhythmic approach of the courting they do, mm-hmm. not just the beautiful, like single string harmony right. sort of stuff they would do on morning rise, especially. Yeah. But, well, yeah, I haven't heard My Arms Your Hearse probably since it came out. The first two songs back to back are worth the price of admission alone. April Ethereal going into When. Mm-hmm. Just I remember liking that record. And then what was the one after that? Was that Still Life after yeah. that? Yeah. And I think I remember liking Still Life. And then what was after that? Blackwater Park. And I liked that one too. It's I revisited it like last year. Oh man, holds up. Yeah, the writing, the mix balance. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's where I fell off though, because then after that was uh, the one with the candles on the cover, right? Uh, that's a couple of records later. Is it um, Ghost Reveries? Yeah, yeah. That was uh, 2005, and in between that and Blackwater Park, they did that pair of records, Damnation and Deliverance. Uh, that's what I was thinking of. Damnation yeah. is, is interesting as like it's a Pink where Floyd. I fell off. Well, it's like a Pink Floyd, Nick Drakey sort of record. Yeah, and not much else. Deliverance is fine, but it's like 
mostly Opeth doing death metal. And it's right. a cool idea to split those influences in half. Mm-hmm. But in execution, I think one side worked a lot better. That's just my bias. I'm sure many people disagree, but... Yeah. Yeah, I kind of fell off there. But it would be cool to go back and revisit some of those early ones. I haven't done that in a really long time. When Morning Rise and, and Orchid came out, I was way into them. Um, it was so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just... It was kind of radically different actually uh at the time and just nothing i hadn't really heard anything like it um so yeah i was i was big into opeth for a few years but they don't they don't have like a a long shelf life for me um i'm not really sure why uh and now i don't know now my tastes are it's just not what i'm into now so much so i'm sure i could appreciate them and go back um it's just i don't even if it's it's just too much of that now there's so many bands that that do that type of stuff you know oversaturated so i'm kind of burnt out i'm actually i'm pretty burnt out on black metal in general right now not that opeth's black metal but i just mean kind of the those those formulas um i'll come around to it again it just it comes in waves you know like right now there's so much great and innovative death metal so so you would say that you're Interest in black metal is not unlike the waves. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, I would say that. <laughs> so you'd say you're in a perpetual wave state? I am in a wave state. <laughs> oh, let's let's think of another one. Um, Are you salty about that fact? <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, I'm the dad. I'm the one that has to make the dad jokes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, Jesus Christ. Okay, let's move on. Um <laughs> There is a band that I've been wanting to show you for years, and I always forget. So now I'm in the perfect position to do it, and I can't find them anywhere. Um, okay. If you want, I have some a very short pair of songs I can throw down to fill yeah. the time. Yeah, go it, go it, go for it. Because I like this. I don't think you know this, and I really want you to. This ties in with a non-musical thing I brought up to you yesterday, and just a band that is in a genre that I kind of. A subgenre that I very much kind of scan the greatest hits for, okay. in a sense, the greatest albums for. Um, interested to hear what you think. This is two songs over two and a half minutes. Okay. <laughs> any bells no but i assume it's uh discordance axis yes okay i gave it away you did so i have i have loved the inalienable dreamless which is what these two songs come from uh for many years uh just the the uh, our dear friend hassan put it very well this is this is the record you show someone to prove that grindcore has songwriting right because especially in this record they really do um and not unlike, uh, you know, Agalock and, and many other bands that, that you know, we know and, and love, there is a austerity to the, uh, I'm going to horribly mispronounce this, but Gestam Kunstwerk, the, the holistic work. Uh-huh. Um, this album came in a DVD case. It has this right. beautiful blue skyline for a cover. The lyrics are so connected to the singer seeing uh, the end of Evangelion movie in Japan and uh-huh. being emotionally affected in a way that he compared to like losing a friend. 
Um, and so both so that's these song, song number one. Yeah, so that was Pattern Blue. This is the end of Rebirth. And both uh, of those titles have direct correlation to Evangelion. Okay. Um, and I, where Evangelion comes in for me is that as someone who's loved this record for the better part of a decade, I just completed uh, a full run of the original series, 26 episodes, and then the end of Evangelion movie. And it has just never left my mind for over a, a week now. And for anyone wondering what the hell I'm talking about, or maybe how a mecha show about teens <laughs> that jump in big robots to defend the Earth from otherworldly invaders can be so emotionally affecting and sad, um, I would recommend checking it out. It's deconstructive of its own subgenre and very much its own thing. Um, and if you like extreme metal and have somehow not heard Discordance Axis or even just this album, uh, The Inalienable Dreamless, I can't recommend it enough. Um, and I have a quick story about... just want to get that stopped at the right time. Um, so, John Chang uh, has gone on to do another band called Gridlink. Okay. Uh, that is now done. They did three records. I was telling you about this, so but just to give context. So Gridlink played uh, one of its few ever North American shows at MDF, I want to say in 2011, Maryland Death Fest. And uh, I was there with Hassan. He, uh, you know, I lost track of him for a minute when we were just browsing merch, ran to him again. He's like, dude, this is John Chang. And I, you know, typical fanboy me, I'm like, hey man, you know, I, I really only just got into an animal dreamless, but you know, thank you. Like just typical stuff like that. Right. Um, no less heartfelt, but incredibly just, overwrought and like how do you receive that on the receiving yeah yeah <laughs> he was really cool uh and then go you know he's like hey man you know if you're interested um you know I, the grilling merch booth i have a, a just a small handful of these really rare low run discordance access shirts and he sells me one that has their very you know minimal like austere looking logo with a tiny you know discordance access lettering like this okay, big on a yeah. white shirt and you know he's like 20 bucks i'm like Done. Sold. It's a white shirt. I can only see it so well in the dark of Sonar. Right. Uh, Club Sonar, RIP. Uh, come home with my stash of loot back to Seattle. Um, and I'm looking through my my haul from the fest. And lo and behold, this Discordance Axis shirt has pit stains. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then I, I, of course, had to... Years later, I just, like, jokingly messaged J uh, John Chang about that on... on social media and he had a great sense of humor about it but <laughs> <laughs> he uh last thing uh about this band um he recently reconnected with guitar player rob martin and mm -hmm. they have a drummer uh from the japanese scene uh, that john has long been connected to and they're i hope it's honestly a working title for their band name but it's no one knows what the dead think because the one demo they, they've recently tracked a whole record but the demo they posted in the last year was phenomenal really just i mean it's a, you know, I guess Dave Whitty was asked if he wanted to do a full on Discordance Axis reunion and turn it down. But especially given that, it's just going to be another banger. And that's the thing about John Chang is he makes these mini epics where it's, you can tell in the best way, everything was thought out, no detail unturned. Right. That's cool. I like that. Well, especially um, in Grind, where so much of it, so much of the fun is often the mess. Right. Mm hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's what I love about, about Grind. Um, it makes me think what you say about discordance axis are the same things that I would say about Nazem. I've only heard human 2.0 and 
I'm sorry, I'm such a poser. Is the first one of the gas mask wedding of the self-titled? Or no, Inhale. Inhale. I've only heard those two. And then I saw their like I saw their set at MDF, the one year they played in memory of Oh um, right. Uh-huh. Of Miko. Is yeah. Uh, Mieko. It's I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it's got a Z and an S in there. So Mi- it's Mieko Tlarchik like or something. Yeah. Um with the dude from Rotten Sound on vocals. They yeah. I hadn't heard a single note of Nazem and they blew my mind. Yeah. And I think you're spot on because you can tell they really paid attention to songwriting. Mm-hmm. Um and even more than DA, we're not at all unopposed to mixing in different genres. I mean right. rock and riffs and mid tempo grooves and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Nazem, especially on their later work, had I mean they're still grind, but they had a lot of melody in it too. Uh, but it didn't, they didn't sacrifice the insanity of it either. It was still just fucking balls out blast. But then every now and then they just go into these like really intense harmonies and melodies and, um, uh, made them stick out for me. Hmm. Um, so even yesterday when you're telling me about DA, I was like, that's what I would say about Nazem. So that's really cool. Um, the good news is, is that this band I did find, uh, I found Back from when I had a music blog, I Googled that and it still downloaded. Wow. Back from 10 years ago, it was still hosted on Mediafire, which is amazing. I downloaded it. Problem is, I can't get it to unzip. <laughs> Dang. Um, well, so, should I should I fill the space with more words? Yeah. Why don't, <laughs> what, do you have another subject you want to bring I up? I do. Okay. Bring it um, up and I'll, I'll try to get this to work. Okay. Uh... What what thoughts, if any, do you have on Scorn, who I am not going to play, but have um, greatly enjoyed in the last year? I'm not that familiar with Scorn, actually. Um, I believe that their first album had a name that I can't remember. Vesolus. Yep, and that was it. It's actually a reunion of the side A lineup of Scum, because Justin Broderick plays guest guitar in that record. That's right. Um, I remember... Okay, so in my mind, Scorn occupies the same space as a lot of the bands that came out when when Eric blew up and there's like all, all these death metal bands. And then all of a sudden people were saying like, oh, there's a side project I have called Defecation. And oh, there's a side project I have called Scorn. And all of those kind of got lumped in my mind at the same time or Unseen Terror, like all that shit back then. Um, I remember I got the first Scorn record because I just bought everything on Earache at that point in time. And I remember it being so different and left field that I just didn't know how to process it. And now I honestly can't even remember what it sounds like. There's some bangers on that first one, for sure. Uh, It's particularly interesting to me because it's the only entry in the Scorn catalog that Mick Harris plays drums on. Right. some of the songs go on a little long, but just in terms of guys coming right out of grindcore and trying to, uh, you know, make a, a, an abrupt switch to kind of dub influenced industrial metal, essentially, right. yeah, is that's the thing about Scorn records is even if they're not something you want to listen to a ton, they're mm-hmm. really interesting snapshots. Yeah. Um, the second record I actually find even less interesting. What's um, the second record? Colossus. Called? There's just not a lot of songs that stick yeah. out to me other than a couple. But Evanescence, the unfortunately, wake me up inside. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, 
Evanescence has sometimes the song structures are not always the most memorable, but um, the different elements and textures and samples that are being mixed mm-hmm. just hold a continuous influence for me. And when they're on um, songs like Light Trap, yeah, um, and Exodus, I mean, just phenomenal, dub, dark, dubby, kind of trip hoppy mm-hmm. songs. Um, and Scorn is also one of those bands. Uh, I think this is a rarity where they have some good, some really good uh, remix releases. That is really unusual. I I tend to ignore remixes because they just bore me to tears. Well, if if you wind up liking any of those first three studio records when they were still a band before Bullen jumped ship and it became a solo Harris project, of which yeah. there's still good material, which is just much more electronic, right? Um, then you might also like uh, their Ellipsis uh, remix album. I think I've heard Ellipsis. It's like a Meet Bee Manifesto, Scanner, Outtecker, Bill Laswell. Coil did two remixes for that release. Um, And then even Scorn remixed themselves. Okay. Uh, Again, in context, pretty damn cool. Yeah. Yeah, I should check that out. I recently listened to... Evanescence, I believe, uh, this last summer. Um on your recommendation. Oh, because when I was up there on the piggy black cross tour, you mentioned it. And I was like, I don't think I've ever heard that. Um, was it the piggy black cross tour or was it the tour? No, it was, it was the compactor tour. Sorry. Um, shouts out Derek rush. Yeah. Derek's Derek's awesome. Um, yeah, I can't even get WinZip to install on here to get this to work. This is so frustrating. I hate WinZip instead of, I hate music. Nice. I hate zip files. I normally don't. I normally love zip files. This is just ridiculous. Um, maybe, just maybe. Do you have another topic? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you had a handful of topics. Well, we've already covered three of the four, so here's my fourth. Oh, and we'll, we'll nice. just improvise it from there. Last one. Um, so when I was very much, uh, I started on bass, uh, you know, I've, I've, as, as you know, I've only really switched to guitar after college. Right. Um, but, uh, in, in high school and college, I was just obsessed and fascinated with the tasteful end of, of technical death metal, especially the the classic Mm -hmm. releases. Um, and, uh, especially Steve DiGiorgio, yeah, uh, among others. And he, you know, this is back when, when message boards were a used thing before Facebook and right. Reddit kind of eclipsed that purpose. And so Steve had his own uh, SMN board. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember if it was early college or late high school, but after buying Human on CD, knowing it was something he played on, um, but also kind of knowing he was completely buried and was a very divisive production approach. Right. I just, I straight up asked on that board where he was active in, in chiming in. I was uh-huh. like, Steve, how do you get buried on human? It's such a great record, but it's, it's a shame. And you know, of course people chimed in like, yeah, you know, this, that. And Steve wrote this just elegant, super in-depth response that I actually Googled it a couple of years ago. And people have like, and I don't say this to toot my own horn. This is about Steve, not me. I mean, him taking the time to really in, tell people the, the true story. Right. Um, it, it's just, it, it, it speaks to his character. Uh, the one time I met him when Sadis played uh, 
in Seattle my senior year. He was also just low-key, down-to-earth, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a nutshell, he was super psyched, you know, to play on this record with, with you know, Chuck, who we knew back from when Chuck was living in L.A. with Chris Reifert, or excuse me, the Bay with Chris Reifert. Um, yeah. And they would share a, a practice space with Sadis. But uh, obviously, you know, the core of Cynic as well. So mm-hmm. they go in. Reiner and Steve were so well prepared that they just did full takes um, of these songs. And Steve had to jet immediately after tracking to go join up for this tour opening for Morbid Angel. Okay. Um, with Sadis. And so only Sean and Paul are for the mix. And they, you know mail him this tape of rough mixes and Steve Stoke throws it in his Walkman and thinks it's a joke. Like for the first couple seconds, he's like, Oh, these guys are just like messing with me. Oh yeah. Oh, sure, no. gonna me. Yeah. And then his words were like, I threw it in the train tracks. I couldn't believe they, they did that. Wow. And then he later said, you know, now needless to say it's water under the bridge, but I'm still kind of bummed. I, those were some of my most explorative bass lines. It was some playing I'm really proud of. And one of the last conversations I had with Chuck was the idea of an eventual remix. Mm. Sad to say that'll probably never happen. And in one of the most, like, I think underrated miracles of, of just metal records in recent years, that remix happened. Mm-hmm. And it is stupendous. And if that wasn't good enough, I think five of the eight tracks have those isolated Sean and Steve rhythm yeah. tracks. Yeah. And you can just really hear... I mean, you hear his fingers keep up with Sean Reiner's drum. I mean, keep up with <laughs> exactly match. Who am I kidding? Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes when I'm in the mood, I'll just listen to only those bass and drum takes. Yeah. It's, They're it's, crazy. Oh, it's just incredible. Yeah. No, I, I've, I've heard those too. They're, I mean, that record, I was never much of a death fan. Um, back in the day, uh, Spiritual Healing, Scream Bloody Gore, all that. It was just a little too primitive for my tastes, even though I loved Autopsy. So I, I don't know what the logic is there. You know what I would recommend is, is listen back to Leprosy. Oh, now I love them. Oh, but, okay, okay, okay. but like back in the day, like in high school, I, they I just didn't really like death for whatever reason. And then Human came out and I was like, okay, like I'll give it a chance. I loved the artwork, the cover. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a chance. And like 30 seconds in, I was, it's one of my absolute top favorite death metal records ever. And ever since then, it's made me follow them since and then revisit the older ones. And now I love all of them. But Human to me still is just, it is the epitome of fantastic tech death. I completely agree. It's so hooky. It doesn't overstay its welcome. No, it's... Especially that remix. I mean, those guitars still oh, yeah. sound woofy, but yeah. hearing those bass lines underneath them and the little grace notes and fills mm-hmm. that Steve throws around. And honestly, I didn't think I would hear myself say this, um, but uh, with a graduation gift card, I bought two CDs in the summer of 2006. Uh, Unquestionable Presence and mm-hmm. Individual Thought Patterns. Yes. And Individual Thought Patterns is no longer my favorite death record. It's, yeah. it's human. Yeah, I I love individual thought patterns, oh, but yeah. Human is a superior record. It's it's the best death record, I think. I think so too. Um, I mean, individual thought patterns has amazing moments. Um, as much as I love, I honestly do love the philosopher, but there are times where I listen to it and it just it it it, it rubs me the wrong way. In a way, it just seems. 
I don't know. I don't know what it is exactly, but the lyrics kind of grate on me a little bit. Yeah, and I, I think especially when I bought the remaster, like I was so like the reissue LP that the mm-hmm. relapse did. I was so stoked after the human thing. Like, oh my god! Like now I can't wait to hear what they did with with individual. It's bad. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, it already had you know to be completely obvious, you know, dated production. Right. But it somehow sounds even thinner. And yeah. that sucks because especially when you hear how well they balanced much woofier guitars mm-hmm. with everything else in the prior recording. And, you know, they already had really mid-range guitars on yeah. ITP. Um, and it would just be so cool to hear the equivalent sort of human remix approach to ITP and balance really everything with Steve's beautiful fretless playing on that Yeah. One. Yeah, I mean, they're both amazing records, but if I had Sophie's Choice, I would go for Human. Yep. Uh, I I didn't used to buy so many reissues, but now I've I've gotten rid of all my CDs for the most part, and I just collect vinyl now, and so many of those reissues on vinyl are so good, and they're so affordable. A lot of those Century Media ones, like I've gotten most of the death reissues I have for like 12 bucks. I mean, oh. off of Amazon. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, human was one of the first ones I, I grabbed up. I was like, gotta have this one. If I can make one slight and it's much more of a general complaint than Uh anything else, but record labels as a fan really appreciate the service you're trying to do, but do not tack a bonus track on Uh, the end of the actual wax. Like just hook us up with the digital download code or don't. Or don't. Yeah. But, you know, uh, years before, Roadrunner did that, too. And I bought yeah. this awful repress they did of Don't Break the Oath. I put the Death yeah. Kiss demo on the end. Well, you know, you don't, you don't need to do that. No, I. that's like one people, of my yeah. biggest pet peeves. Um, if if you're going to have include a bonus track, do not include it on the actual album. Have it separate somehow. Have it a digital download or a, or a separate 7-inch or something like I... Like I would love it if the death reissues came with bonus tracks, but it has to be on a separate piece of physical media. Yeah. Um, an album is an album. Don't fuck with that flow. Yeah. That's rule number one. Uh, when we did the Karata box set, they, you know, Prophecy was like, okay, you did this cover. We're just going to put it at the end. We're like, fuck no. We are not going to do this unless it's on a separate piece of physical media. And so the Crowded Box set has the entire album on LP and then a 7-inch and the entire album on CD and then a bonus CD. Perfect. And it's just, it's it's a travesty to me when that happens. You just, I nothing is worse than listening to an album and then all of a sudden it goes into like these demos recorded on a four track at the end. It's, yeah. it just, uh, yeah, well, huge I'm, pet peeve. A, a favorite 90s band of mine is Hum. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, speaking of another, yet another meticulous, impressive musician, uh, Matt Talbot has spent, I think, the better part of, I want to say, three or more years, because he got the vinyl rights to their second record, and he, for years, has run his own fully analog recording studio in um, Champaign, Illinois. And now uh, it, it, he, he finally has come through with the repress of it, and he put all the B-sides from the singles on side D. Yeah. So you don't have to yeah. Yeah, worry that, about any of that disruption of the... the and that's fine. Thing. I mean, that's that's a caveat. Like, if it's a, a separate side on a record... Oh, yeah. No. Like, that's fine. Uh, I would still prefer it not, though, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like, if I'm going to buy a record, I don't want bonuses. I really don't. And 
I don't want new artwork. Agreed there. And most of the time, I don't even want it remastered. I, I want the original document of how it was at that time. I think it really depends because it's so record to record to me. Um, I mean, I can see benefits of remasters. Like, I mean, like human does sound fantastic, but at the same time, like I love human. And for me, music is very much about a document in time. So I, I don't, to me, it's like when it, it would be like, uh, if, you know, Stephen King rewrote Christine, like, I don't need that. Um, yeah, it's like the star Wars special edition right. approach to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can see what you mean. I think it really, again, to me, it depends because sometimes record labels screw over the artists yep. and it still works in the terms of the snapshot in time right. angle. Sometimes it's so detrimental that you think, what if, right. um, and I mean, a really obvious example of that that recently was remedied was loveless. Yeah. Um, now that said, I can't listen to that album anymore because I listened to it so much in college. Right. Uh, but you know that like Kevin Shields had to invent new techniques to replicate the computer assisted fades because it was that analog. Right. Uh, in how they spliced the ma the new master tape and all this. Um, but yeah, sometimes I completely agree. It isn't necessary. Uh, I, a band I considered playing on the show today. You ever listen to iniquity? No, I never have. Danish death metal band did three full length records. The second two are, are fun and fine. The mm -hmm. first one is a minor masterpiece, I think. Um, it's called Serenadium. And they got that reissued on vinyl for the first time uh, early last year. And I was just rereading an interview with a bass player saying, we did no remixing and no remastering. We did a vinyl master, and that was it. Yeah. Because that that is what we wanted. And yeah. I love that too. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can see arguments for either way, but um, I just... I'm just kind of a purist that way, I guess. I feel like when it's released, that's it. Don't fuck with it anymore. Mm. Move on. Do something different. Uh, I mean, I talked about this on a podcast I just recorded last week that's not out yet, but uh, like the And Justice for Jason thing. Like I see a very, of course, there's a very good reason to have a remaster with his bass audible. And I can totally see why people want that. And I think it's only fair but I'm not interested. It's, it's, again, it's, and Justice For All is, a, is, in my opinion, a fantastic fucking record. I love that record. And there's no bass. But, I mean, I don't want to, like, reinvent, I don't want to learn, like, a new version of this record. For me, these things exist in one space. So this record exists in this space. I don't want another version of that record. It, it like conflicts. It's like when people write fan fiction, it drives me crazy because like that never happened. It's the purest in me. Mm -hmm. um, that's, <laughs> that's why I don't put cream in my coffee. <laughs> I'm a purist. <laughs> it's just, I have weird, uh, thoughts and pet peeves like that about music in particular, because I am, I'm a music Nazi. Um, and I just think that those things should exist in one space and just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. If it's fucked up, leave it alone, learn from it. Next record, turn up the bass. Okay. Can I, 
Can I ask you a question then? Yes. What were your thoughts on the the remastering of the Agaloc records then when Colin did th- that? Oh, for like the, the, uh, for the vinyl. Edition. I mean, I. That's a great question. Because um, I, I, I mean, I'm biased as a fan of Collins, but well, yeah, I, Collins, I, amazing. Oh yeah, but I, I. Well, number I, one, I had no say in that. Uh, sorry. Okay, I didn't want to. No, no, it's anything. it's not it's not bad. Well, I mean, that is bad. That's stupid. I didn't have any say in it, but. Uh, that situation was so out of our control in a lot of ways. And um, I kind of like it because I I personally have not listened to them um, because I can't listen to Agalock. Makes sense. Should we delete this portion? No, no, no. This is totally fine. No, this is totally fine. I just don't uh, want to step on nerves. Man. No, no, there's no nerves. Uh, this is like, as far as nerves go, this is about as low as it can get. Uh, but when those reissues of the first three records were being planned, um, we we didn't have a, we weren't asked like, hey, is this cool if we do this? It was like, we're going to reissue these. But we had no objections to it either. And they worked really closely with us to get those out. And I do like it in the fact that people say, when I listen to Pale Folklore, I can hear your bass. That's cool. Because I had some really cool bass lines on there. Um, and apparently people have never heard them before. Like for me, when I, when I listen to it, I know and I hear it because I know. Um, but like, I remember... Actually, it might have even been you. I can't remember. That sounds like something I would say. Yeah, because I think somebody told me it might have been you. When they heard it, they're like, you're doing some really interesting stuff on Hallways of Enchanted Ebony. I'm like, yeah, I always have. <laughs> to me, it's just obvious because how, I can't remove myself from that equation. Right. Um, but yeah, a lot of people have commented, like, I can hear you a lot more in Pell Folklore. Um, so in, in that way, I like it. But at the same time, like... I wouldn't be bummed if th- that never happened. Um, I'm not. St- I'm not stoked about the new layout thing. Um, there, a lot of the credits were changed too, and people were credited that weren't even involved. It was a really weird. There's a lot of weirdness there. Um, I can point fingers, but I don't really know who's to blame for that. Um, it doesn't really matter, but it kind of reinforces what I'm saying. Like. This was done. Leave it alone. If it didn't have a vinyl master, then yes, of course, get it mastered for vinyl. Uh, but if you do have a vinyl master, just repress it. Just repress it. Having said that, if you're doing a box set or something, then sure, you'll want to like expand and whatever. But it's just, I don't know. I, like I have written in waters on vinyl, but it's the new cover. It was the only version available at the time that wasn't a million dollars. Now they just reissued it with the original cover. Like, well, fuck. Like, that's the one I want, you know? I think Hassan posted about that at one point when he got it. And in the comments thread on, on Facebook or whatever, some guy was like, why did they put a white border around the original art? Looks like I'm going to have to go hunt down a, a oh. previous reissue. No, totally. Or like those fucking Century Media reissues with the stupid like iron bars around the side, like on Ceremony of Opposites and stuff. Or those creator reissues that say remastered and like blood splatters at the bottom. Like I want Pleasure to Kill on vinyl more than anything. But it says 
remastered in a big splatter of blood, like on the bottom of the cover. That's the type of shit I can't stand. There's a lot of stuff that bugs me about this. <laughs> Couldn't tell. Okay, so I was able to transcend space and time. Transcend, uh, yes, um, cosmic keys to my creation and times. Uh, so I was able to finally get this. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that I've wanted to play this band for you for years. I'm not sure that I haven't, though. It is possible that I may have shown you this and forgotten. Uh, this band is a band I haven't listened to in many years. But whenever I think of this band, I think of you. Oh. And they have a strange catalog. They're Finnish. Um, and I had an old shoegaze band that did a split with these guys. Okay, you've played me that shoegaze band, but I can't remember what, who these guys in question are. So hit me with them. Okay, yeah, the shoe the shoebase, the shoebase band. Yeah, well, you, that you I was played shoebase and the shoegaze band. <laughs> yes, <right>? Shoebase. <laughs> the songs really snuck up on you. Um, yeah, the the shoebase band was that I was in was called Climb to Salem with my good buddy Nick Loicano who was also on The Grace of Bottle with me, which you released on your label. And a seller, a seller album it was and is, my dude. Yeah, that's one of my proudest moments. Um, but uh, we did a split with this band. And the only thing I can find from them to play you are, they had two three-inch CDs. And these must have been 96, 95, 96. And... Um, I can't remember what these sound like, so I'm just going to play one. All right, here we go. Um, I remember one of the songs on here having some amazing sampling work, but uh, yeah, this is something that even if this doesn't, even if this isn't representational of what the band is, which I'm afraid this might be like something totally crazy, this is a band that you should hear at some point, even if this isn't the thing to play, but I'm going to do it anyway. All right, here we go. <laughs> this will be interesting. I used to have a distro around this time and I used to distro these three inches. Let's see how this goes. Oh yeah, this is good. Ooh, already very into this. Yeah. 
they have a couple full lengths that, which are much more like complete visions. Right? It's weird. Who is this? They're called Plan E. I don't think you've ever played any of this. I don't, I don't think so. Um, the main guy, the director of this band, his name is Yanni Letosari, I think is how you pronounce his last name. He's been doing Plan E for a long time. They just released a new record on his own label. Um, and like I said, this is like from 95, 96. They have a few full lengths, the split with my old band, a couple other things, but um, Yanni was best known for being the bassist for Impaled Nazarene for a long time. Wow. Yeah. Like uh, later day Impaled Nazarene, like uh, Latex Cult and a bit beyond. So, I'm not a big impass guy. No, I'm but... sure you're not. Um, but uh, we knew him because of Impaled Nazarene and then like he sent us this stuff and we're like this is fucking weird um but he's like a big shoegaze fan and my fr my buddy Nick is a huge shoegaze fan and we had the shoegaze band and we're like you know I mean they're not stereotypical shoegaze by any means but they're like really really bass heavy and uh definitely had that that atmosphere um but yeah they're fantastic this was a three inch CD called E for your ears and the song is called dry. The, the vibe I got, I mean the, the groove reminded me, um, I don't know. Kind of, I mean, this, this sounds so broad, but kind of post punky. Yeah. But then a lot of the synth choices seemed a lot more in line with what I love about, um, say the moody blues, really mm -hmm. letting a beautiful string chord just resonate like, go over. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I'll I'll maybe try to hook you up with some more. Please, um, that's so cool. Because I think their their first full length is called "Songs for a Rainy Day," and that's like a little bit. That song I just play is a little bit more angular and kind of jostling a little bit. "Songs for a Rainy Day" and most of their stuff is much more, um, for lack of a better term, like Red House Painterish, where it's slow and sad. Yeah, more like slow Corey type of stuff. Sign me up. Yep. Um, speaking of, of self-indulgent statements, yeah. Um, can I can I make a proposal here, given our time constraint? Yes. So I know we're going to play out uh, with one of my band's tunes. Yes. But given the low-key nature of like the final, final song I was going to play, do you think we could sequence them as such with that like last song going into a nostalgia song? Yeah. Okay, like, like, because then that allows me to play the other of the two songs I was going to play. You want, this, wait, so you want to do... One song to talk about. Uh-huh. And with, like, and then preface the end with the final song in my, my group mm -hmm. and maybe a little tidbit about the nostalgia thing and then just let those two... Basically, the... Yeah. Okay. Do two of your songs and then... The nostalgia tune. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Okay. Yep. So... This is a band you may have heard one of their hits, very major label in the 80s, uh, but they never took off in the States like they did in the UK and Europe. This, I mean, you know, I don't really realistically know if and when my band will become a two-guitar outfit, but there's so much about this band, and especially this record, that along with Bark Psychosis, though stylistically not related at all, um, this has been a huge fixation for me. Okay. And just a love and um, 
I'm interested to know what you think. There's a lot of new wave in this. There's a lot of just mm-hmm. great twin guitar rock and roll in it. But, um, you know, the first two records this band did was Steve Lillywhite. Okay. So, yeah. I dig the bass tone. Oh, the musicianship in this band is perfect. Yeah. And it's never, I mean, there's barely any guitar slow solos I can think of. I mean, it's all about the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. Yeah. And the bass player is not only one of my favorites of all time, but he does the lower backing vocals perfectly. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, I just want to get to the melodic break before I tell you who this is. Okay. really cool i just love the melodies they throw in like that it's not a flashy lead it's not a solo but it's just it's a beautiful melodious yeah. sound and texture yeah so this is big country oh yeah okay and they i mean yeah. honestly i still love that single because it seemed like everybody when i brought up this band of people were like oh yeah that single in a big country yeah and i hadn't heard this because i started with this which is their second oh, okay. much darker record that kind of splits itself between love songs about the front man's then very recent marriage and some really timeless songs about the death of the working class Mm. and this song is basically about the uh school to war pipeline okay it's and it's i must say given the leftist bent the singer Uh had it's really funny there's a youtube video where somebody put this song to like footage of modern u.s soldiers oh weird yeah it's like it's it's to me anyway um this is much more questioning of the societal foundation we give armed conflict. Mm-hmm. I guess I would say. Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah. And I didn't. I didn't have any idea that this band existed beyond a, a one-hit wonder. The first situation. three records are incredible production, especially the first two records in that regard. But but just the songcraft is near perfect. The drums have all yeah. these tasty parts, yeah. but also have like kind of a martial uh-huh. like marching sort of uh, basis the ba- Tony Butler's bass playing is I mean so technical in a sense mm-hmm. for like a major label band right but it the way it interlocks with all these high register guitar parts is perfect and um, I would be once again remiss to not say rest in peace Stuart Adderson who died he stopped drinking I think in just before they played Live Aid in 85 uh-huh. and then had this awful break with his wife um, and and you know they married when he was 22 or something. And oh, only yeah. had two kids. He moved to the States, started a country band, horribly relapsed with his drinking, and was found just a couple of years later um, after going missing, dead in a Hawaiian hotel room Ooh. with an awful blood alcohol content. And uh. It's just such a, an awful loss, not just of talent, but of someone who, from all indications, was selfless. Right. Took so much time with anybody that would recognize him, especially in like. Dunfermline I'm sorry I butchered that pronunciation but Scotland where yeah. he was from and opened the pub even after he long after he quit drinking um, just a an astute caring heart on top of being a really distinct guitar voice and, and yeah yeah um, the band still tours and I would still see them but 
even they admit, you know, they need two people to replicate what Stewart did when they right. play now. Yeah. Um, and this record, uh, for anybody listening, is called Steel Town. You can find this or any of the, uh, really their other early singles of the first, or the other two of the first three records for four bucks. I'm sure. At, at any amusement. And they are so, so worth your time. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah. It's nice. That's cool. Yeah, I had no idea. Um, I'm sure most people have no idea. Yeah, well, especially in the States and people who are younger than... 50 and oh whoops Whoa. that's a discord saxis <laughs> song we have already played um s- stop it google just keep playing it over and over again yeah that's that's what okay i'm just gonna remove that and so sh- i guess i should preface this final song in my playlist and also mention something about the nostalgia tune yeah so someone that i know we just discussed this as well yesterday but someone who i have long admired um, really just contemporary music in general, but initially stemming from her work in death metal is Layla Abdul-Rauf. Mm-hmm. Um, Vastum is pretty peerless, I think, in the yep. modern, de- or, well, in the contemporary underground death metal game. Um, but just the, the, uh, the variety and the extent of her talent continues to stagger me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you listened to Ionophore? No, it's, I never have. I think you'll really dig that. It's an electronically focused um, long distance collaboration with two mm-hmm. other people. Okay. Um, phenomenal. Stuff. I think they have two. Or, they have three records. And then this last year, she put out a record called Diminution on mm-hmm. um, Black Horizons and Cloister Recordings, and I, I still listen to it almost daily. Um, it's mostly based around her voice and a really ethereal, uh, intentional piano and cornet approach okay cool and so this song when i mentioned to her i was going to play this she said it was actually uh, it's called wayward and it is a solo version of a song that she um initially collaborated on with one of her bandmates in ionophore some years before ionophore existed um yeah ryan from ionophore's solo project souls and cities um this version on layla's album is called wayward and I guess I should, okay, nostalgia blurb. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, just, yeah. So I'd Tell like me what to, you're going to play. Yeah, I would probably pick a Present Tense. That's my favorite. Thanks. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, when I, creating it, um, I came across the, the main riff the way I often do, which is where if I come up with something that, uh, sounds sufficiently, I guess, not high rate, like more low endy, mm-hmm. and a bit in the post punk realm. I think, well, what would this sound like distorted? Right. And this just came out as a, a pretty solid riff that also affords the bass a good amount of room. Yeah, yeah. Um, and on one hand, I'm really proud of the guitar solo. On the other hand, I was listening back to rough mixes and I was like, you know, and I sent it to Don. I was like, hey, so does this solo sound too much like you or is that just me? <laughs> and Don goes, well, you know, I. Yeah, kinda. Kinda. But there's there's no intervals there that I didn't already take from. I want to say his name's Larry Carlton. That sounds familiar. I think he played yeah, with Steely Dan. Steely Dan. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, I am not much of a solo player myself, but I do like the solo. I promised Don, uh, buddy, I'm gonna do my best. <laughs> yeah. To continue to find my own voice uh, going forward, but um, in terms of the overall goal of this record, which was to make a bit of a mission statement um which i I really i just was so unprepared in uh, the previous 
recording endeavors for the band. I just wanted to knuckle down and make something where I could just hand it to somebody or direct them to the bank and be like, yeah, this is what we sound like. Mm-hmm. No caveats. No, but we're going in this direction. Um, right. Yeah. Just, you, this no, is it. Yeah, this is this it. is the yeah. springboard. Well, I know I, I've told you this before, but uh, your record was one of my favorite records of last year. Um, it was leaps and bounds beyond what you've done before. Um, and you definitely succeeded in, in creating that mission statement for yourself. Um, I was blown away by it when I got it and I listened to it nonstop for weeks. Um, I think you really outdid yourself. Uh, the problem is now is you have to keep getting better. Um, <laughs> but seriously, I mean, I, I loved the record. Um, I have a group of friends, so we get together once a month. We have this record night thing and we play each other records and I played that, uh, and everybody was blown away and, uh, I think Russ was there that night, and then I think he bought one. Um, I play it for people whenever I can. I'm pretty uh, sure Mr. Nick Woos yep, uh, yep. bought one as well. Yep. So shout out to both Russ and Nick Woos for their being great people in general and their kind support. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, also, Jason, as always, thank you. Of thank course. Thank you so much. No, I, I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> for I, everything. I wouldn't be inviting you here if I didn't love you and Nostalgist. And I wouldn't be trying to book your band. Um, seriously, I, I'm very, very impressed with what you've done. Um, Aesop was icing on the cake on your record. Well, but it's not just Aesop. I mean, it's the, it's the songwriting and your vocals that, that get me, especially on the song that you're going to play. That's, that's the one that, that gets me the most. Well, thank you. I, I, um, I won't ramble anymore other than to say uh, it, it, I, I absolutely have to... to Shout out Aesop for his willingness to. I mean, the if you heard the reference demos, yeah, I did Garage Band <laughs> at home did a desperate like five day stretch before I went overseas for two for two weeks, um, and then came back to immediately record with him when he flew up. Right. Um, it was. It's hardly illustrative. I mean, I'm amazed. I'm amazed Aesop was still down when he heard those. And and I'll say to you, I'll say again on, on literally on record now what I said to you yesterday, which is he put so much pummel. And power, uh, and of course his own signature sort of nuance under those songs. That that was in as much a precedence set- setter that I was looking for as like every other facet, you know. Right. And to make a record with him, and also my dear friend, mentor, producer, engineer um, Evan Foster was such a joy. Yeah, such a joy. Um. So to all listening, thank you for for listening and and listening to my long-winded ass ramble and um <laughs> hopefully given all the pretext uh the song is still enjoyable yeah so we're gonna listen to uh, uh Layla's song and then we're gonna listen to your song yes Layla's right. song again is called wayward let's do it
No, we we can be. Okay. I don't want to talk over your song, but okay. we can talk over this one. I just, I think between my love of Boren, Under Club of Gore, oh, and that love that, that Bark Psychosis record yeah. with its intermittent horn parts, and then yeah. Layla's solo work, mm-hmm. I just love how evocative simple horn melodies like this can yeah. be. Um, and her whole record is just permeated with that sort of vibe. I really love the the Berkeley train sample that she and, and her partner Nate mm-hmm. got from this tune. And um, I also really like that she does short, for, you know, it's ambient, right? But she it's it's compositional. Yeah. Um, she you know it's, it's, it's as far as I understand it, I hope I'm representing this correctly, but it's short form compositional approach. Yep. Uh, and that's cool to see because so much of the ambient I like is much more sprawling and right. long form and improvisational to a large degree. And yeah, I like the short form ambient. Um, sometimes I'm a patient where it's thin with you know more of the long form stuff. But uh, yeah, I like this because it's, it's obviously ambient, but it's also varied. Um, and what I really like about ambient music is when it combines electronic elements with uh actual like acoustic elements like whether it be like the horn or like field recordings or something like that when it's just like keyboard drones or something like that sometimes that gets to be a bit much for me yeah i i too like that mix between electronic and acoustic uh i guess it it just comes down to really the timbre of textures and how you're laying those generally across where relevant what rhythms right um this is not really a plug because i think it's going to be a long time before we release anything but i'm slowly working on this dub techno project Mm -hmm. with my dear friend zach who was actually like the very first member of of nostalgist when it was a very different non-rock band okay yeah that never also never really coalesced but um you know, when we last, we get together about twice a month, and when we last got together, we sampled my cat's purring. Oh, nice. To completely warp and twist yeah. and, and make into drones. And, uh-huh, yeah. So. Yeah, that's cool. Stacking that with, like, an instrument that he spun up in five minutes. Right. Because he has that level of adeptness with Ableton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the name of this record again? Uh, Diminution. Right, okay. And this, is this on Flenser? No, this was on, I think, Cloister Cloister? Recordings and Black Horizons. I can't remember. Okay. I think one did CD and one did mine. Okay, cool. Yeah. And her voice at times on these records, not maybe necessarily in this song, um, but I get slight uh, Liz Fraser Cocteau Twins vibes. Oh, yeah. I can Um, see that. But in a much less... I don't mean this disparagingly at all, but in a less fluttery sort of way. Mm-hmm. There's a, a real gravity in this record as a whole, I think. Yeah. Um, that comes across in the vocals as well. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. That's cool. I'm going to have to check out that record. Yeah, I think it's way up your alley. All right, so you can lay some nostalgist on me. <laughs> oh, I have to play it. I can play it. <laughs> um, yeah, whatever's. I can play it. I got it. Um, one tidbit that I think you'll enjoy, and that is definitely something Agalock is responsible for, is that um, 
the verse approach I did with the clean guitars and writing the song was so influenced by Love Under Will by Fields of the Nephilim. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. All right, so I'm going to play present tense. Here we are. Thank you. 